I do too. Welcome back to Momo Eats the Bigly. Hello. This is episode three, Momo Eats the City. What do you think we're going to talk about today, Carlotta? Um, I'm not sure. What could it be? Mm, I don't know. What a lame joke to start off the show. Well, I can only go uphill from here. Um, we are <laughs> going to start and we're going to talk about cities today. Yeah. Cities. Uh, as, as usual, I don't really know what Lenny's going to say. Lenny doesn't know what I'm going to say, but... I have a feeling it's going to be left-wing communist, anarcho-communist sort of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not much of a communist, but certainly an anarchist. Yeah, you keep saying that, but everything you say kind of sounds communist. Right, Maybe that's because right. anarchy is kind of like communism as it well. Kind of, kind of. Right? So I was cycling through Amsterdam today. Oh, really? You know right. what I noticed? What did you notice? Very empty. Yeah. There's o- no one o- there. Obviously. Is this no. the first time you realized? No, I realize it, right? Um, for the people in the future... This is in the middle of this whole uh, alien attack that's happening in July 2020. Yeah. So about half of the population were just kind of like uh, sucked into space by the aliens. Just banished. In, in case you're in the future and this is already uh, history. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I've noticed it. But because I live sort of outside of the center, I don't really see just how empty it is in the, in the spaces that are usually very crowded. Yeah. Have you seen Dam Square? Dam Square is strange. Talk about Dam Square. It's so weird. Like I, I just walked the other day. I was going to Central Station and I walked past and there was just no one. Mm. I have to say though, it's not. If you go to Spain right now, then you will really see some empty streets and and parks and and yeah. shit. But like the other day when it was super sunny, yeah, the parks were just full. In Spain or here? Here. Here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in the park too, to be honest. Yeah. Apparently, they're gonna roll back measures now. Yeah, that's what they say. But Dam Square actually, Dam Square, th- the first time I, I really realized how empty Amsterdam is right now um, was when I was at Dam Square. And that was an eerie situation because that was one of the first quarantine days. And there were almost no people there except for one sort of like Romanian busker with like uh, like a folklore instrument that I didn't really know what it was. And like three people, you know, these people who just kind of stand around and you take pictures with them and yeah, they yeah, take yeah. money. Uh, and they were all wearing these like um, sort of like black death outfits, like you know the the doctors from like the yeah, black death with, like, times. Yeah, like the beaks are weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And three of them were just kind of standing there, and it was eerie as fuck. Yeah, because if there's no one there and you're just like yeah. dressed up like that, and and y- you knew they knew why they were wearing that, like they were all like, yeah, because this is kind of like the the plague, right? <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that's that's, that's that is pretty funny. These people actually, though, are going to lose a lot of most of their income. I don't know how they're going to. I mean, yeah. Yeah. When I, when I used to be a, a, a um, tour guide, mm. we always started tours there. And I, yeah. so I knew a few of them. And they you really. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they really depend on, on you know, seasonal of course of, of tourists. And right now, this must be horrible for yeah. them. I wonder if some of them can keep doing their work on the spaceships. Yeah. I mean, probably sure. Aliens need entertainment as well. That's true. That's true. Maybe that's why they took Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, by the way, guys. We um, owe you. Um, yeah, so so cities. Cities, yeah, cities. Um, 
So again, like uh, all we know is that we have we had the uh, task to look into cities, and then we did different research. I looked into smart cities especially because I find them fascinating. For a while, I was considering studying uh, urban planning, uh, urban urban management, or urban design, whatever that master's is here at the University of Amsterdam. Um, it's a research master's. Um, I didn't end up doing it, but if I do another master's ever again after this, perhaps I might um, do urban planning. I think cities are fascinating. Yeah, no kidding. After after investigating this, I actually started to look at some urban planning masters. It's really, really, really cool. Already. What do you mean already? Like, you mean in, in between us deciding on this topic and then now? Yeah. <laughs> in that time frame, you looked into masters. Wow. Yeah. Just to just, yeah, see what they were like. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. Yeah. Um, would you like to start? Um, well, my everything that I looked at is mostly very politics related. Okay. Then perhaps we can start with the sort of more um, basic uh, city stuff. Because I feel like the smart cities is just sort of... It's, it's a very apolitical concept at yeah. first, at first, but do we'll I, get so into... Wait, wait, wait. Do you want a number? A number? A number? Like, we need to say something about, like, I don't know, how many people live in cities or something like that? Huh? Oh, half half the world's population lives in cities. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And and, and GDPs? GDPs? Like, how much of the G GDP? Yeah. Uh, can I take a guess? Um, yeah. You, you, can take you mean a guess. globally? Globally? Um, yeah, I'm trying to look for, to find the number, but yeah. Okay, my I guess, my cities... GDP. My guess yeah, will be seventy five percent because I also think no, let's say eighty <gasps> percent. That's so close. Is it close? Yeah, it's eighty two percent. Eighty two percent. I would have never guessed. No, the reason I said it was because I feel like even the stuff that happens in the countryside, people like companies that actually are in uh, cities are the ones profiting off it. Or if there's any product sort of that has part of its supply chain somewhere rural. Yeah. I feel like the GDP, whatever their measures, I'm sure they controlled for this in whatever statistic this actually is. Um, but I would imagine they would, you know, s be centered in cities anyway. Well, and uh, just so you know, it's also obviously going to get bigger and bigger, the population in cities. So by in, in the next 15 years, more or so, like 10 years, actually, because this was written four years ago, um, about 60 percent of the d total global population will live in cities. So it does look like we're do you think in the, in, in the future, it'll just be cities. That's it. The countryside doesn't exist. It's just... I think that'd be great. I think that'd be awesome I as well. I think that'd be amazing. I mean, you w it would need a significant greening of cities. Yeah, exactly. But it would be amazing. But imagine imagine for a second. I understand the downsides. I'm sure a lot of our precious listeners grew up in the countryside. Yeah, me. Right. Well, sort of countryside. R right. And I understand that. And, and I also didn't necessarily grow up in the middle of a city. However... Um, and, and I understand that you, you're connected to sort of this idea of like a, of a farming village. Like I'm, I'm sure you farm like, I don't know, fish where you're from or like yeah. you yeah, farm. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else would your economy be? Fish and crabs, you know, crustaceans. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I'm sure that's a very romantic idea. But imagine for a second a world where virtually all the human population, let's say 95% of the human population isn't dense relatively dense urban urban cities they don't have to be as dense as like bangalore or i don't know taiwan or hong kong um tokyo 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 of <laughs> course um but they could be you know relatively sprawling but fairly dense and as soon as you get out you give it back to nature you give it back to the animals yeah. you give it back to to the trees yeah and of course you can visit but mm. everything it's not like sort of like regulated in in terms of you know a centralized government can decide who can and can't go out but it's sort of like you know a little bit more sparse and we could also have like ultra fast trains that connect cities 
and yeah. they're really efficient so that transport from one city to the other is really really easy and cheap mm -hmm. and affordable mm -hmm. and then we could just constantly travel and visit other cities without polluting much yeah that would be an ideal world right well, I don't know how ideal it would be. Yeah, well, we'll um, but they're actually planning on building a hyperloop between Amsterdam and Paris. Or With like uh, Elon Musk? I don't know if it's his company, um, but it's it's one company because he's not the only one uh, building the hyperloop. Right. Um, like there's other companies with similar similar ideas, um, and I don't know. I only read headlines. It's, it's, is is hyperloop thing. necessarily underground? I think. It I don't is, know. No? I don't know. I think it would be overground. I feel like making it underground would add a lot to the cost. And is it like a capsule? Yeah, it's a capsule inside a basically a vacuum. How do you pronounce that? Yo. Yo. I don't, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't Yo, know. Yo, don't put me like, on the spot. This is going to be on the air forever. If I mispronounce it now, then it's going to be forever. Cap I would say capsule. Okay, capsule, okay. But it's entirely possible. Yeah, I don't claim to okay. know all the words. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the Hyperloop is above ground. It's above okay, ground. Yeah. And then you could get from Amsterdam to Berlin in 90 minutes. So it, it Th would that's connect. That's really good. Yeah, that, that's incredible. That's faster than flying. I mean, it's not necessarily faster <laughs> than flying, but it is uh, like maybe you don't have to get to the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It saves time for sure. I wonder in what year, maybe we can put bets on this now, what is going to be the year with the first Hyperloop terrorism incident where somebody like... I was... Oh my God. I was literally just thinking about like, yeah, like could, could you have a terrorist attack? Oh, maybe we could do it. We could, we could actually have the bet, have a bunch of people put money on it, and then... One there's day no we actually blow up a hyperloop. You know, there's like no terrorist attacks, right? Huh? There's barely any terrorist attacks. Right now? In, 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 in like that kind of scale, th that doesn't happen. Wh what do you mean? Well, in general or now? Like, terrorist attacks are, because they're so horrible, it, you would overestimate the amount of times that things like this happen. But it don't happen that often, you know? So if we're going to bet on when it's going to happen. Okay, here's what I'm thinking. If I was the leader of Al-Qaeda, right? And I saw that people are coming up with a new way to travel, like especially rich people find a new way to travel. Like it's also a sign for progress, technological progress. Like if I was the leader of Al Qaeda, w wouldn't I kind of feel like, hey, maybe I can blow this up? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you would. I but feel like that's a very reasonable thought I just had. So <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. Well, whatever. Okay, how did we get here? Um, All I wanted to say is cities are getting more connected. Imagine a world where, you know, people aren't living sort of in the countryside. Yeah. Everything is a little bit more connected. And that kind of seems very futuristic, right? Mm -hmm. Like right now, it's certainly not like that. Like no. you, couldn't, you couldn't drive anywhere, especially a place like Germany where I'm from. If, you, if you're out in the, if you're c commuting between big cities, there's always going to be these sort of like shitty little villages i'm sorry like a lot of them are really <laughs> fucking ugly and i do not believe that people are actually having a good time there maybe they think they're having a good time because it's just where they grew up and i appreciate that right right but i do think that if they were given the option of living like in a in a really forward thinking like i don't know well now you're making an assumption there yeah I, of course i'm all about assumptions <laughs> Of course, I'm making an assumption. Right, right. So if they were if they were given the choice to live in a city. I don't know if everyone. Well, I don't would know like if that. they. I don't know because also they always knew small town life, right? So yeah. people who live who like small town life now, perhaps they would say like, why would I want to live in a big city? And as I said, I appreciate that. I get that. But I think if they were given the real choice, where they also have, let's say we would implant 
some memories from living in a nice city, sort of like in a Black Mirror episode, into their brains and then give them the choice. I think in that scenario, a lot of them uh, would they'd say, be like, yeah. yeah, of course we would choose I mean, the opposite the nice also city. happens, you know, that people who live in the city get so fed up with it and then they just yeah. need to leave. And but that's, that's why I think that these sort of like sprawling big urban centers, like imagine Amsterdam was like four times as big, like literally four times as sprawling. And people who really want to live in the center can still live in the center. Right. right? It's so more the like outskirts areas. would be would be different. They they look more yeah more sort of exactly. towny like completely. Like well, it's like if you go to Amsterdam or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. But imagine like the density of Amsterdam, but like all around Amsterdam, because yeah. a lot of like the the same distance from Amsterdam to Amsterdam city center, like in in a lot of other directions, isn't that yeah, dense. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you do have Hofdorp and you do have like Zandam and places, but a lot of it is just very empty. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm saying is just like imagine if all of these places were super populated and the rest of the Netherlands was just basically empty. Perhaps it could yeah. be like some small little other urban centers. And I'm not advocating for this change. <laughs> I feel like we've spent <laughs> seven or eight minutes already talking about this. It's like I'm a hardliner. I want no small towns to exist. No, all I'm saying is if that was the case, I think that could be a really cool future for humanity. And perhaps you could really combine it with sustainability and uh, giving nature back a lot of the space that humans have taken. That's that's the that's the idea behind garden cities, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I read a little bit about that. I wanted to write my thesis on that. I never actually did. This was back when we were doing PPD. Um, but I found some really cool stuff. Uh, it just it's really really technology dependent, of course, um, and that's that's a bit of a problem. Can you can you walk us through what a garden city really is? Yeah, garden cities, the idea is that you need to find every single possible space that you can and make it green, right, within the city. So there were a lot of ideas of, for example, each building would have on the roof a sort of community garden. You know, you could even plant, uh, like, tomatoes, I don't know, and, 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 and eat some of that food. Mm, yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you mean? Mm. Well, I don't know if I would want tomatoes. I feel like it wouldn't be my first plant of choice. Uh, pretty useful you can use it for anything yeah, I make like sauces with them i don't hate tomatoes but i don't love them you know right well get some bananas i don't know okay but um yeah so that was the idea but there's a lot of issues associated with that for example if you live in a place where it doesn't rain often you need a huge tank of water to mm-hmm. to like uh, maintain the garden and then that might be really bad for your roof because it might fall right makes sense I don't know. There were just like little issues, you know, that obviously are fixable. They're all yeah. fixable, but yeah. it requires a lot of sort of research and investment into it. Mm. And if the people who are going to benefit mostly from this are just neighborhoods, it's relatively unlikely that a lot of uh, money will be put into it. Well, but there's always going to be companies that can actually profit off of this, right? You think so? Of course. Like it's, it's a very sort of community level uh, kind of neighborhood idea. The, the The one truth that I find about like capitalism and money is that wherever there's an opportunity for money to prosper and and, like produce more money someone will find it and create that money like uh, this is not advocating for libertarianism or anything but it is true that people find very very creative ways to create more money yeah that's uh schumpeter will tell you i think it's a competition that's Mm. what that's what creates uh, supposedly the innovation and and dynamicity is that a word i don't know i think it is of the economy but uh yeah really cool interesting projects for cities you were you said you read a lot about smart cities yeah so exactly this type of stuff where you um have a green city and you you think about how can you maximize space how can you maximize utility functionality all of that stuff um there are a lot of places right now that are looking into that and that are more advanced than we could freaking imagine 
But what what kind of stuff is it? So, um, when I researched the whole thing, I realized that the things that most people talk about when it comes to smart cities are basically all the things you can do in City Skylines, which is a game, a computer game. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. City Skylines? City Skylines. It's similar to SimCity. Perhaps you've heard of that. No. Like Have you heard of Frostpunk? That's the only city <laughs> game I've played. No, ne never heard of it. Damn, we don't have the same Steam library. We have to like, <laughs> fix that somehow. But um, any city builder game, basically, right? When you look at your city builder games, um, you can look at the traffic, you can look at the weather, you can look at the pollution. All of these things you kind of take for granted when you play a computer game. These are the exact things that all the people that I researched who, who look into smart cities are talking about. Those are the things that cities don't actually know right now, but that they do want to know because of the vast possibilities that that opens up for how you can grow your city and how you can maintain it. Yeah. So one of the smartest cities arguably in the world, or smartest states even, is Singapore. All Singapore right. is ridiculously smart in, in that sense, right? So yeah. uh, in Singapore, um, if you build a new district, obviously a lot of housing is owned by the government uh, in Singapore. That's a whole separate topic. But because that is the case, they have um, a, lot of a, a, a lot of possibilities to just create new districts for people to live in. So if they want, they can say, okay, we need more housing for 50,000 people. We take this plot of land. We restructure it in very sophisticated ways for people to, um, to essentially m uh, be able to live there. And, and live in very, very intelligent ways. So they can measure all things regarding uh, how much wind there's going to be in the city. So they will model a city, they will model buildings, and they actually have programs and software uh, where they can measure how much airflow there's gonna be in each individual apartment. How accurate is that? That I don't know. Because um, anything that has to do with weather and things like that. N well, it, it assumes a certain, w what you can do is you can measure, of course. So they're not saying that they can predict the weather. They're saying that, if on average in a whole year kind of well like if, if the input variable wind uh, is the average in the month of may let's say yeah right and if we take this entry point uh, into this living block right yeah. which they can measure beforehand because that's not going to change if yeah. the wind comes from a certain direction right then the output variable can be calculated because then they can model yeah. the airflow around the buildings so that's kind of like you remember when we went to iran i remember yeah do you remember when we went to visit those houses that were designed so that the, the, the wind would flow through them and they wouldn't be hot? I do. So that, but just very technological. Exactly. That, um, but basically not just for a city, not just for, uh, not just for a room, but for a whole city. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it goes on to things like modeling the shadow uh, and, and how the shade will affect different parts of the town once oh. it's built. And then also plotting the parks so that they have maximum sunshine and kindergarten so right. that they have the minimal amount of, uh, of of sunshine so that kids can be outside because kids skins are super uh, kids skin is super sensitive to sunshine yeah, yeah so all of these things are just part of it right yeah so it's not it's not just um, sort of making the city efficient from a let's say energy point of view but also just thinking about who's going to live in the city and how to make the the, the, exp the living experience easier for exactly so so those smart city ideas, obviously the energy efficiency things, when it comes to energy, one interesting thing I found is that a lot of the time the smart city is very closely related to the smart home. So a lot of the things that have to function in a city 
also have to function in a in a home. What's a smart home? So a smart home is essentially when you have an app on your phone that regulates temperature, or yeah. you know, um, for for people it could be something like or energy saving energy in your home, uh, or it cu- could be you come in and your um, your apartment recognizes that it's you, mm-hmm. so it puts on your your favorite music. Something like okay, that. Yeah. Um, so basically integrated apps. We wouldn't think of that as a public policy. We'd think of that just as sort of like innovation. Uh, Ring is, is, a, is a company that's super famous, right? So basically you ring, you ring the doorbell and on your phone you see who's outside and, and you can open the door or you know, so talk to them. Without standing up or anything. Exactly. Yeah. So basically inter- making life easier. Yeah, yeah. But what I found is that the, the sort of more public policy parts about smart technology, so smart cities they super duper rely on smart homes because without smart homes they don't they often don't get enough data and that's the part where it can uh-huh. get kind of eerie because singapore actually integrates a lot of their smart home data into their smart city data so that they can um uh predict different actions so they can what pr- kind of actions so for instance if um, people have an app that recognizes what time you come in Right. Uh, apparently, in places like Shanghai, uh, and also apparently they're trying to push for this in Singapore, um, the city actually gets that data, and then they know at what time they have to reconstruct the traffic so that it'll actually um, make it easier for people to come home at that specific time. It's super creepy that they know when you're in and out of your house, but okay, I get yeah. I get the use of the data. So, so right now, I'm I'm still just talking about Singapore, right? If we talk about China. It's a whole different story. We don't think of Chinese cities as smart cities, but we all do know, or like if we're interested in this stuff, perhaps we've read about um, facial recognition software. Yeah. Perhaps we have read about, um, you know, that you have to have your ID card with you at all times, um, that it is legal for shop and what owners. About, is it, was it a thing like that they had an app that would tell you if someone was... Um owed money or something like that mm, that's probably part of the social rating system oh yeah that was it yeah, yeah. so all of these things w- w- like if we, if like we've heard of these things right mm-hmm. like this but we wouldn't necessarily connect them or or associate them with a smart city because to us that just sounds like oppression that just sounds like uh-huh. you know wildly uh, limited liberties uh-huh. for citizens right but if we look at china from a smart city's p- perspective for just a moment Holy boy, holy boy, that's a new one. Holy shit, I, I guess I'm still kind of like, should I swear on this podcast? Yeah, but you I should. don't, I, yeah, I probably shouldn't give a fuck. Um, holy boy, <laughs> 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 holy shit. Um, but holy shit, Chinese cities are smart because Chinese cities essentially bring all of this just to the next level. They know exactly where each car, each registered car is in the city at all times. They can model their traffic uh, after that stuff. They know where all their people are. It is legal for shop owners in some Chinese cities to ask their customers if they're healthy and to check that with an app that they're provided by the government. Uh, is this a corona m- kind of measure or is it a general measure? No, this is a general measure. What? So store owners just... Store owner could say, uh, I think you're coughing a little bit too much. I, I, th- I feel like I have grounds to kick you out of my shop. And then they can like measure their temperature and kick them out of the shop. Uh-huh. Like all of these things are just kind of like legal, right? And all that data is always transferred to the authorities, which obviously exists on different levels in China. This is also something that I, th- that I think a lot of people kind of overestimate uh, underestimate how many different levels there are in China still. So it's not just all... What, what levels? What do you mean? So basically, you don't just have the central government of Beijing. You also have local uh. governments, and then you have regional governments and all that stuff. Yeah. And they there's a lot of corruption in between those levels, as far as I know. So not all data is in immediately 
you know, stored in this one central server that then decides everything, but it almost feels like that's more a matter of, you know, they haven't been able to figure it out. And once they do, or once they overcome all these um, sort of standardized errors, if you will, um, they will do that. What would you say are the, the biggest benefits or sort of the most attractive features of a smart city? Um, I think a lot of the problem, I think a lot of the problems that we have uh, in the world right now, climate change, um, perhaps even crime, all of these things, I think in theory they could really be helped. Elderly care is another one. Um, yeah. Elderly care, um, so a lot of people, um, if a city decides that their nurses are actually allowed to Skype their par uh, their patients um, instead of having them to ha needing them to go out and actually see them in a hospital, you can decrease the amount of elderly people who you know perhaps are get run over by a car because they didn't look or <laughs> <laughs> it made more sense when I researched this. Like they they gave really good reasons for why elderly people should stay inside instead of go outside. Um, but the point is, climate change I think is is a is a reasonable way to look at it. If you look at efficiency of a city, right? Um, streetlights, for instance, if a car approaches, streetlights go on, but if the car is gone, then the streetlights shut down again. Seems like a smart thing, right? Yeah. Saves energy. Mm -hmm. All of these tiny little processes, I think those can be really helpful. Um, and on the other hand, I think if you can control benevol benevolently um, the activity of the residents of a city, so if you can say, okay, we are seeing more crime here and we're also seeing, uh, let's say, more pollution here. Perhaps there's an association. It just gives you data, you know? The more data you have, the the better you can understand your city. And I think then you can start fixing problems. Like let's say wages are extremely low in one particular street, in one particular neighborhood, right? Uh, you could say like, hmm, why is this happening? And then perhaps you find some sort of common denominator that would go like, well, yeah, because it's super loud around there because we have noise measurements here as well. People probably can't sleep. Maybe that's why they can't, you know, work well. Something like that. Yeah, no, but I see what you mean. It's uh, um, If you have uh, that much information about your city, it is much easier to design policies and to foresee what possible problems you can run into. Um, yeah, I still think that it, it is a bit, bit scary the whole controlling thing, but uh, but I get it, I get it. Um, and I guess in that sense, then I think it's really important that that these uh, sort of activities remain on the hands of local governments and they're not like privatized and things like that so that they can really be put to good use. Right. I saw when I was um, researching a little bit, because um, we, we we've, you, you mentioned climate change and that is the one thing that I that I saw that it just came up all the time. Cities fighting against climate change. What I saw mainly was that they were going sort of beyond what the national governments were doing. This is something that I think, for example, Barcelona wanted to do. Cities in in the Netherlands as well, because the Netherlands is not doing very well in the transition. But I think individual cities are trying to do more than than their actual governments. And there are quite a lot of um, interesting proposals. But I actually really liked one from. This is not. This is nothing to do with climate change, but it's uh, this anarchist guy. I know I have to bring anarchy into it at some point. Be but my guest. Yeah, I'm not saying that this is necessarily like viable or anything, but I just find it fun that that he came up with this and he was like thinking about possible future cities and he came up with the concept uh, the concept of the garden city, and that's just basically a city that is built around a massive park. So you have a huge, huge park in the middle, and then everything is thought 
to sort of uh, work around it the park in the middle is also a bit like a sort of city garden mm -hmm. so people could go there and have a little plot of land for themselves and i don't know do whatever they want but i like i, I like that idea of really integrating nature into cities mm -hmm. and i have seen uh some projects um it's, this is just ideas that people have and they and they and they show them something called the urban village project i don't know much about it but um from what i've seen there's actually a big movement of trying to create places within the city where you can get when, where you have everything that that you need and the, everything is very localized in the in the neighborhoods so you have uh, you can grow your food there you have your gym there you have a in communal daycare everyone sort of shares living spaces and that that's something that I really like. It feels very anarchic. It sounds very anarchic. Is this um, project something that's already happening, or is it more uh, a model, an idea? It's a it's a this is a model or an idea, but it's it's something that actually does happen in many cities, and it has been happening for a while. Mm. That people feel like they need to take back the city, and so start organizing uh, in neighborhoods instead of instead of um, trying to change the minds of their of mm. their mayors or. Mm. Or I guess uh, presidents or whatever. It's nice. It's really nice. Um, but I also so um, <laughs> I I was also investigating a little bit about sanctuary cities, mm -hmm. and I came up because this is now no longer about climate change. But I came up with this uh, Center for Immigration Studies, which seems to be a really right wing uh, sort of think tank. Really? Yeah, I incredible. Um, yeah, because like they 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 use such horrible words to refer to to migrants. Um, and th actually, sometimes they interchangeably use the word criminal and migrant. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Wait, like what? Are, what words? So, for example, um, they wrote this about they wrote this article about sanctuary cities. Which, mm -hmm. for, for who doesn't know, if you don't know what it is, sanctuary cities are cities that um, where where the mayors or, or local governments have decided that they want to go against the the migration policies of their countries, and have um, sort of either passed regulation or made it easier for refugees to stay there or illegal uh, immigrants. Um, and um, yeah, so when they were writing about this, they would say like, this cities, counties, and states have laws, blah 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 or other practices that obstruct immigration informants enfor enforcement and shield criminals from ICE, ICE you know, which is mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, cr the immigration agency mm -hmm. in, the, in the States. Um, but what I thought was really interesting is that they showed, for example, um, the head of the Philadelphia Bar Association compared ICE to a police state and called on lawyers, judges, and other courthouse personnel to resist the agency when its officers attempt to make arrests. Mm -hmm. And they also spoke, uh, wrote about some other um, uh, judge who um, asked a bailiff to escort an, uh, someone who was being uh, judged for something outside of the building so that ICE wouldn't arrest them. You know, mm -hmm. so it's even even judges and and, yeah. and uh, uh, people who work in. in in this kind of uh, really institutionalized settings, right. we're also rebelling sort of against the policies of the state. And I thought that was very nice to show how, how cities are their own sort of, um, they, they're becoming more powerful with respect to governments. Mm. Really goes to show also just how big the cultural cleavages are between urban spaces and rural, rural spaces, because it's no accident that um, you know all of these policies these sort of like left-wing or more liberal policies happen in the cities while as the sort of more um you know right-wing stuff usually comes from outside the big cities right like most big cities in the u.s for instance are fairly liberal or at least democratic i wouldn't say they're necessarily left-wing but um you don't really have 
very many uh, sanctuary counties, like sanctuary rural counties. Do you think that's the true thing that that um, that cities are more? I mean, I don't want to say left wing, but let's say progressive than than the countryside. In the U.S., by in and large. In general. Yeah. Because I think that might hold true for certain things, but it is also true, for example, I think that uh, people who live in, in, in towns or smaller things that are smaller than a city, basically, they also have, for example, stronger solidarity ties. Sure. Or much more social community fabric, feeling. Social fabric is a whole different question to me. I'm just talking about um, sort of like the state and how powerful it is. And then in that context, how, f how left-wing or how right-wing it is. And I think in that context... Uh, cities are more left wing. Right. Yeah. That when it comes yeah. to social fabric, I, I totally agree that there there are there's very poor social fabric in uh, in cities right now, and that would probably also be one of the things that I think would be great to improve in smart cities or future cities where you really you know your neighbors. Perhaps you fill out a survey. You go like, hey, do you like music? Okay, then you live in like the music sort of like young district. Hey, do you like quiet and peace? Yeah. Then you can go to the sort of like quiet and peaceful district. Yeah, so each neighborhood is a mini world. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then from there you can s sort of, uh, you know, have like some sort of program where you say, okay, you should get to know your neighbors or you, you could, if you want to get to know your neighbors, we have a peace and quiet workshop going on for the peace and quiet people. And we have a heavy metal festival going on in the yeah. first week of March, something like that, right? Um, yeah. It really, really does, uh, it shows a lot how important urban planning is. This is something that I never thought was actually really that much of a thing, you mm -hmm. know? But there is so much thought yeah. into every single part of designing a, ci a city. And if you took that to the extreme, you really could do amazing things. You could do amazing things. I mean, we were just talking earlier about this. Um, what was it called? The the thing that then evolved into Disney World in Florida. EPCO e or something e like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. Basically, Walt Disney, um, before he died, he had the idea that instead of building Disney World in Florida, that was going to be sort of like a futuristic concept city. So it was going to look like a circle with uh, certain elements in, in the center and then... Uh, residential areas towards the outside and it would obviously not be um, you know shielded sort of like a under the dome scenario but it would just be a self-contained uh, city and it would sort of like it would be something to lead the way into the future at the time but then uh, according to Felix when he died that's exactly when uh, plans for that were scrapped and they were just like okay fine we'll just make another world uh, another Disney theme park and then Disney World happened instead I wonder what that would have looked like. Uh, a there, city are there are sketches. Really? Yeah, yeah, there are sketches. They're really cool to look at. Um, it lo it looks like a home button, like a like an iPhone home button. Like an iPhone. Home what I'm saying iPhone? is, it it looks like a circle. Saying iPhone home button is a <laughs> 2017 way of saying circle. Come on, get right. with it. Wait, circle or sphere? I mean, from the from from above, it looks like a circle. Because if it were a sphere, it, it, it would look a like a sphere. It would look like a the, like the Death Star. Something like that <laughs> as a city, you it's know? It's not a sphere. No, no, no. It's not a sphere. Um, but it would have been cool. And and those are the types of things I think that a lot of people think of when they think of, like, the city of the future. And we could also just get really creative, right? Like, make the city fun. Like, imagine if you had... What, what do you call that? When you slide down a thing? A sled? A s no. That's because that's like what you used to for the snow, right? Um, yes. No, I when mean you slide down a thing. I mean, like you know, when you're a kid and and you're playing in the park and you a just slide, a slide probably. Yeah. I don't know. Let's a see. slide. Slide. I'm gonna Google that word. 
But imagine if you could have a slide from, supposing that that's the word that I'm looking for, from the top of a building all the way to the bottom, and you could just... I mean, you were asking me about important issues that will be fixed when we have smart cities. I think you just pointed out the most important one. Yeah. No single city in the world in 2020 has a slide from the top of the city to the bottom of the yeah. city. How has no one what ever thought of that? What the fuck is wrong with us? Yeah, Google has that in their headquarters, you know? Do they? Like, I wouldn't sometimes be if you don't want to go down the stairs, you can just... Phew. Oh my god. It's fun. I'm sure it is. They, al they <laughs> also apparently they also have like a I don't know if it's Google or Microsoft, it's one of the two. They also have a puppy room. So really? <laughs> yeah. So if you have a bit of a mental breakdown, a anxiety room. is getting Only to puppies you. Puppies or dogs? It's just puppies. So right? And what happens with them when they get old? Yeah, they I euthanized. <laughs> That's what they do. I never thought about that. In Japan. <laughs> yeah. I was in I was in Korea, you were in Japan. I'm sure it's uh, I'm asking, but I'm pretty sure it's similar in Tokyo. Are there all these pet shops with like these tiny little super cute puppies? Like, I mean, they they're have, just they like have a like little in little like spaces. No, no, no. I mean like actual pet shops. Like in Seoul and and other parts of of Asia as well, but Seoul especially, you walk around and there's all these pet shops with like these super adorable little puppies that are in like these um uh like like not aquarium like aquarium style um showcase boxes outside and and along the window am i making myself clear or i mean that's just is that gibberish that's just, that's just the pet shop no 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 but they're all puppies and yeah usually when you go to pet shop you don't buy a grown dog do, do you, but do you really think they're going to keep these dogs around when they get too old yeah that's that's um probably not right no so that's why i'm thinking like what the fuck is google hiding so what do if they do with them like i guess they just find them homes yeah like isn't there like a it'd huge be a scandal shortage? if suddenly suddenly in in a week we see that uh, google has just been sacrificing a bunch of dogs okay well we can just start a hashtag right now in this very podcast where are the dogs hashtag where are the dogs Find hashtag the google kills puppies yeah. <laughs> all right something like that you heard it guys get this hashtag trending and then we can start a huge scandal an inquiry inquiry into into google's uh, abuse of puppies which we are pretty sure happens did you know by the way that um amsterdam is is gonna grow much more um, in the future and now I think they're they're looking at building about 5,000 homes each year um, and supposedly by 2050 it should be 70,000 more um, which I don't know how many people fit in there I assume two to three people per house or something probably yeah um, but yeah so and one of the areas that's going to receive a lot of um, attention in that sense is north of course because mm. uh, it, it's the area I think that remains a bit there's, there's not much there it's really cool. I love North, but there's not that much there at the moment. What is there in Nord? Well, in what sense apart? Like last time I was there, I was looking at a room and I was in this super boring residential area that kind of looked like an American suburb. It was really, really annoyingly uh. boring. <laughs> like, and it's like two minutes away from the NDSM. It looks quite suburb suburban. Yeah, that is true. But no, I think North is really cool. They have really sort of creative bars and cafes. Um, places that just look different than mm. than other places around Amsterdam. But there's also yeah, there's NDSM and then you have Eihall in there. Yeah. Um, the was was it Nord Nordisch Cafe? I really like that. Place. Yeah. I'm not knocking Nord. I'm just saying a lot of people are saying it's the new Oost. A lot of people are saying it's the new the pipe. It's and gonna be. I, I'm sure it's going to. It's be. not gonna be the new the pipe. But the pipe is. I live in the pipe and it's not. It's mm. not that great, you know. I mean, it's it's just really really touristy. 
Which, I, by the way, not how, right now. How, how are we talking? Yeah, no, not, not right now. How are we not talking about gentrification if we talked about cities? Well, we still have about 15 minutes left on the podcast. We do? H- how long? Oh, okay. Yeah. We're at 40 minutes. We can stop around 50, 55, something like that. Yeah, well, gentrification. Gentrification. Big issue. Um, Go ahead. Tell well, me about it. Yeah, so this is, for example, the pipe, uh, I guess it's been gentrified for a while but this is something that's also ha- is happening now in Oost. These are um, um, neighborhoods that for a long time have been um, at home for sort of people with lower incomes, let's say. And so you... Oost or the pipe? Oost, Oost not yeah. the pipe. And you spend your whole life in these neighborhoods and, and you build them up and you're basically because you're opening shops there, you're, you're, you're opening businesses. In, at the end of the day, the people who improve neighborhoods are the people who live there. And... Um, so you uh, you spend decades uh, bringing a, a neighborhood up to its current state, and then suddenly, an influx of uh, either foreigners or just uh, 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 kids with money. Kids mm. with money. I mean, you know what I mean, right? Like. Uh, yeah, of course. What are they called? There's a word for that. Sons and daughters. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, those. Um, yeah, they suddenly they just uh, f- uh, come into your neighborhood and and expel you because they 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 drive the the rent prices up. And suddenly, this neighborhood that you've lived for, you've lived in your whole life, you can no longer afford to pay rent there, and you have to move out further out of into the city, out of the city, you know. Yeah. And this is, uh, I would say, a universal problem. It's not. It's not yeah. an Amsterdam thing. It's, it happens in every single city. This this issue, gentrification, is was one of the most eye-opening issues for me to really understand left-wing Marxist theory. Really. Uh, yeah. And this was in Iran again, um, and this was Payman actually talking about um, London, because um, most of you weren't there in Iran, but we basically had a workshop on cities back then as well, and we did a bunch of presentations and a bunch of exchange from people ah. with people from Tehran, and we were talking like sort of like Amsterdam, uh, Tehran, but we were also talking about Berlin. You know, Johannes talked about Berlin, like we're talking about Paris, sort of towards the end of that evening um we were there with a professor uh very very interesting person uh, called payman um he is now at princeton um he's sort of like a marxist uh thinker marxist academic and he was talking about the role of property when it comes to uh, gentrification and also cities in general at the time that was the time when uh house prices in london peaked so they've gone down since then a little bit, but in 2017, 2018, when we were there, house prices in London were extremely high, and a lot of them were simply owned by people who looked at them as investments. So there are people, sometimes from abroad, sometimes from you know domestic, from, from the UK, who buy houses in the UK and just keep them waiting for the price to go up. A lot of them are empty. So a lot of people in London right now uh, are homeless or cannot afford to live in the city center or are living with re- with relatives. You can hear all about homelessness in our first episode, right? Simply because people are investing in real estate. The problem with that is, of course, that um, that makes entire districts dead and it makes them artificial because it means that the houses that are there and you see them and you would imagine that there's people living in them aren't actually there. They are somewhere abroad, maybe in Russia, maybe in Saudi Arabia, maybe somewhere in who the hell knows, Southern England or wherever. They're anywhere but there. So then Payman's argument was essentially, think about how property changes the way we understand that. This reality was never the case any time in history. A house was there for a certain purpose. It was there as a function, right? 
Um, if it wasn't to live there, it was to work there. If it wasn't to work there, you know, at the very best, it was like at the very least, it was some sort of vacation home that is really used for that purpose for a family that you know invests in that once or twice in their lives and that can use that. Right now, that is not the case, and this isn't just London. It's Amsterdam. It's Paris. It's every city basically where any sort of investment that goes beyond one or two houses that you can you know theoretically use for your own family is an investment that takes away from the community mm. these investments take away from the community and because that is the case i find it quite hard to ethically ethically really defend it right i'm not necessarily saying that being a, a landlord is a bad thing in and of itself if you're renting out your house to prices that are not necessarily extremely high you know, there's an argument to be made that that's some sort of income uh, for a lot of people to have. It's a good investment. If you work hard, you know, perhaps you're entitled to that sort of stuff. What I don't think is, you know, uh, defensible is this sort of purely seeing housing as investments. And, and that really made me think about how property impacts not only cities, but the whole system within which cities and we all as humans operate. Yeah, I, I agree with most of what you've said. Um, that's just a uh, good old commodification, right? So uh, a house which uh, for as long as we have existed was supposed to be a place where people live is not necessarily that anymore. Now it's also just something that you can make money off. And um, yeah, I still don't don't think it's okay to actually own multiple properties and earn income based on that. Mm. Uh, because to me, that's unearned income. You're You're just earning money by having something not really because you're doing anything mm. um but yeah it's it, it's actually really really crazy how much money goes into real estate and i think we mentioned this in our previous uh podcast as well that this is this was one of the problems that we ha w that we saw when the banks were rescued after the crisis mm -hmm. is that instead of uh using the money for productive investments they just put it all in into real estate which it's just going to make people who are already rich richer, but it's not really going to move the economy. Yep. Well, I think going back to the whole landlord thing, I'm not entirely sure if I agree um, with the fact that um, it's, it's unjust to make money off renting out a space that you own. Because since we live in such a complex economy, um, I, I do think it's hard to really judge people who, you know, for 20, 30 years, let's just say as an example, for 20, 30 years, worked hard and then eventually s were like, you know, I think the city of, let's say, Amstelveen is going to grow in 20 years and people will want to go there to enjoy the benefits of living no c close to Amsterdam, to enjoy living in Amstelveen, right? That's why I'm going to, you know, buy three small apartments here with my life savings, which I worked for hard. These people make an investment. Because we live in the system where investments are basically how you run your own life, right? Um, that investment might pay off or it might not. And if it does pay off for some people, I have a hard time really looking that person in the eye and going like, it's unethical what you're doing here. It's unethical for you to, to take rent from the very rich kids, by the way, who might want to move to Amstelveen, who could stay in their hometowns, but who say, yes, we are paying a little bit more to live in Amstelveen instead of you know, wherever we are from, Spain, Germany, right? But we have the privilege to simply move to another country and in, enjoy living close to Amsterdam. Yeah, I'm not saying that you can go one by one to a person specifically and say you're at fault. Um, and I'm also not saying that anyone who who does that, who has a house and rents it out, is in any way 
in moral. I'm saying that the the idea of it in, in principle, I think, is wrong. Mm. Because we live in the world that we live in, I understand that sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to survive, you know? Mm. So if uh, you're old and you want to retire and, and you think that the smartest thing to do is to buy a house and just get the income from it, then yeah, sure. But uh, my reflect my what I meant is more as a reflection on the principle of it itself, mm. which is uh, making money out of something that's not really producing value because it's just me getting money because I own something, you know? So to yeah. me, that economically doesn't seem very sound. Mm -hmm. And I think it can lead to unfair outcomes. But of course, I don't mean that every per any person yeah. that, that is doing that is somehow... I understand I understand exactly what you're saying. And, and, I, and I really see your point as well. Um, so I'm not really disagree disagreeing with you necessarily. It's just that I really do think that there's multiple ways to look at it, which obviously you're also saying, but... I think it's interesting how, um, you know, in different contexts, we would both agree and we would disagree. What we both definitely agree on, right, is this sort of like mass ownership of apartments um, by foreign investors who probably made their their initial fortune through some sort of, you know, seventeenth uh, century slavery yeah, company exactly. or something, and then now investing it in apartments in London or wherever. Obviously, that is pretty fucked. What is that huge company? Is it Blackstone, I think? Blackstone? One of the world's leading investment firms. There you go. So I read somewhere, uh, I don't remember exactly where when or where I read it, but that Blackstone has basically become the world's li largest landlord. Or at least in Spain, I think. They just bought a shit ton of property, mm. which they might not even be renting out or anything. But it just, the, the idea that these companies can have so many houses that they then keep empty this is also when we were talking about homelessness actually um and about the evictions in spain mm -hmm. it was ridiculous that you had so many empty houses and yet so many uh, a lot of people were just getting kicked out of their own houses yeah and then not being relocated anywhere sucks no sense it makes no sense mm. anyway i think uh this is a good point to yeah yeah let's talk about the intro we didn't talk about the intro we have All an right. intro now you heard it <laughs> You heard it in the beginning. I think the intro is amazing. You like it? Yeah, Lenny made it. I spent three hours making it. I didn't know what I was doing, but eventually I figured out how to take you saying Momo and cut it up so that it goes like, Momo, 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 Momo. Yeah, I like, then, I like to. Yeah. yeah. So that was fun. Yeah, so we have an intro now. If you have any musical skill or no musical skill, but you're really bored, we're always happy to get new theme songs sent to us and we'll replace the one that we have right now with the new ones. Or we can temporarily replace them. I listened to a podcast called If I Were You with Jake and Amir. Shout out to my boys. <laughs> and um, they do this. So basically they always have someone send a new podcast, uh, a new theme, theme song in the beginning and then they just use a different one, which is pretty cool. Who are Jacob and Amir? Jake and Amir. Yeah. Uh, they're just two anal assassins of the highest calendar that, you know, have kind of formed my whole childhood and, like, just been with me forever. Right. You don't know Jake and Amir? No. All right, I'll show you some Jake and Amir. All right. If, you, if you're if you at home and you don't know who Jake and Amir is, check out Jake and Amir. Anyhow, uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. I don't think anyone is here still. If you're still here, message us and tell us that you listen to the podcast all the way to the end. Right, we'll so give you a shout out. We'll give you a shout out next podcast. Sure, over radio. Just we'll to give see you if there's anyone who actually listened to the whole thing. Okay, <laughs> perfect. All right, great. Um, bye everyone. <laughs>